Every year about this time, I start getting excited. It's like uh, our, our year really starts in the fall. Our kids here are going back to school, and then this great mission field comes. And I feel if I was a surfer, which I wish I was, I'm not. I don't know if I'm too old to learn or not. I don't live near a surf, but I always like the idea of it. But the idea that here comes this big wave of opportunity and ministry, and we can either let it just hit the shore and do nothing, or we can catch that wave. How do we do that? It's by ministry, by ministering. In Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, that's where we're going to be this morning, is one of the most powerful messages about ministry and our part in it. Let's pray and then we'll look at scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray our hearts would be receptive, that we would understand, and then, Lord, you would motivate us to our place. Encourage those that are already serving to not be discouraged. Lord, thank you for the joy that comes from obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. John MacArthur said, in the big scheme of things in the contemporary church, Attending church has become a kind of spectator experience. You go to watch what happens. Uh, this, is, this, as you well know, is the most narcissistic, self-absorbed, self-centered society that America has ever known and becoming increasingly more so, if that's possible. People are basically disinterested in anything that doesn't occur to their own benefit. And so, churches have become locations where certain forms of entertainment take place. Many times the room is dark and You know, you have really good music, you have a good speaker, you just go observe and you go home. Very little and sometimes nothing is asked of those people except occasionally give money so they can continue the production. And this, of course, fits the kind of culture that we live in. So in the church, when we talk about the church as a fellowship of people giving their lives away for each other, that's the definition. That's something alien to the contemporary understanding of the church. Many churches wouldn't even ask people to serve. They wouldn't ask people to get involved. They wouldn't ask people to make sacrifices. In fact, it's kind of a, the way they do church today is to just let people come and be invisible and then go back home again. And that's a positive thing because in their minds, I guess, with this new culture, the goal is just get a lot of people in the chairs, a lot of seats in the seats. But that's not what Paul teaches in the New Testament. He teaches the church every believer is a minister. Every single believer is a minister. And the idea that God saved you on purpose for his purpose. In the book of Ephesians, we have this great teaching. It starts in Ephesians chapter 1. He says who he's writing to. To the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. And then chapter 2, he says, now, this is the way you were, right? This is where you came from, every one of us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then verse 19, you've been born into a family. You weren't just made alive so you can go to heaven, but God 
caused you to come to life and you're born into a family so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, we're a spiritual house. We are a field. We're a family. We're the family of God. Ephesians chapter 3, he prays for us, for those in Ephesus, for those who are faithful, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints was the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And with that introduction, he comes to chapter 4, and he said, we need to walk in unity. And yet, even as we walk in unity, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, one God and Father of all. He has gifted us with diversity, gifts of grace. So how do we get to a place of maturity? It's not just by knowledge. The church in Ephesus really majored on knowledge. Paul spent longer there than probably any other place in one, one place, and he taught them. He taught them well. Last week, this last week, we've enjoyed an amazing week of teaching, very good Bible teaching, theologically good teaching. But God expects us to have more than that, doesn't he? The church in Ephesus was really big on teaching, and yet in the book of Revelation... When John begins to write to those churches by the instruction of the Lord Jesus, he writes to Ephesus first. And he says, you know, you guys have your doctrine right, your theology correct. You know who the good teachers are and you know who the false teachers are. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. How come? Because it's not just about knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul's having, they're having this controversy about meat being offered to idols. So the mature people, they write to Paul and they say, Paul, just tell those young people that have just come out of idolatry that quit worrying about it. It's okay to eat the meat offered to idols. So Paul gets ready. I can imagine as they're reading the letter from the apostle Paul, they begin to get, oh boy, he's going to let them. Now concerning meats offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Here it comes, Paul. Paul takes a pin out and pops her big head, and he says, knowledge puffeth up. Love builds up. I don't know who said it, but the phrase has been coined, any knowledge not ministered soon turns to pride. God wants you to be knowledgeable so you have something to minister. How do we get to maturity? It's our ministry. The verse for our church, we've chosen this years ago, a verse for our church, Colossians 1.28. We preach Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. This is probably the greatest chapter when it talks about a church ministering. We're supposed to be a church that loves one another. How do we do that? By serving one another. Not just by showing up and being a spectator. You know, I've known people that have been Christians all their life, come from generations of Christians, and trouble comes and they just fall apart. 
They have the right answers, but they don't know what to do with them because they're not involved in ministry. They're just spectators. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For what? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, the building up the body of Christ. The first year I came to Berean Baptist Church, 34 years ago, I began to teach through the book of Ephesians. And we had an old deacon. And he wasn't being ornery. He was just being honest. I preached to this, and the Bible says here that God gave gifted men to the church to equip the church so that the church would do the work of the ministry. And he said, man, that's amazing. I just figured we hired it done, right? Get you a holy witch doctor and let him do all of his stuff for you, right? No. Every single believer that's saved has been gifted for ministry. And why do we teach that? Number one, because we want you to hear well done. But you know what? That's where the joy is. The fulfillment, the fruitfulness of the Christian life is not found in just simply knowing what's correct. It's in ministering that and seeing God work in other people's lives and seeing God show up in your life through your ministry. And you recognize right away, that was God. The Lord did that. I often get, and I'm thankful, it's encouraging for people to say to me, oh, Paul, you've done a great job. You've been there so long. Well, number one, one of the reasons for many years I was here so long is because I lacked opportunity. There's many times I would have liked to be gone, and Christy with me, right? But I couldn't let go of the tiger's tail, and nobody else knew I was here, so who's going to rescue me, right? Who's going to give me an opportunity? But I'm so glad now. But listen, all of these things that we've seen God do over the years, all the people have come to Christ, that's not me. That's the Lord. But when we serve, he gives us a privilege of showing up and seeing what he's doing. And he loves to do that. He puts your friends on your heart. And so you say, oh, Lord, I don't know how to talk to them. But you begin to pray for them. And then God works your heart in such a way that pretty soon you say, well, Lord, I, I'd be willing. I don't know what to say. If you give me the words, I'll say them. And then he gives you the words. And maybe it's just a little bit here, a little seed there, a little water there. And then you see them come to Christ. Oh, what a difference. And you don't say, well, look what I did, do you? You say, oh, bless God. I want to see that again, right? That's what happens. I want to see God do that again. That's why we teach your opportunity to be involved. It's not so that we can say, as some denominational report, we have this many and this high a percentage of people involved. Who cares? But you being able to hear from the Lord Jesus, well done, you being able to see God show up in your life and have fruitfulness, that's the joy. When you begin to serve God faithfully, you'll begin to maybe feel the way I do, all this in heaven too. That you get to see God work in this dark world where it looks like there's no hope and yet Jesus shows up. God gave gifted men to equip the saints by giving them information and example for actual ministry, for the work of the service, the building up the body of Christ. To what goal? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith, that's doctrine, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that's relationship, 
that leads to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Number one, knowledge, doctrine. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handing the word of truth. Listen, as a church, you may not realize this, but you are very mature when it comes to the word of God. Why? Because you've had some very rich teaching. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the people we have in. A lot of churches, if they had Doug Bookman and, and Dr. Burgraff in, they'd go, what is that? Dr. Barrick. But you have an appetite for that because you love the Lord and you love his word. And, and you hear those things, you go, oh, man, I want some more of that. And every time you hear Dr. Bookman's coming, what? You show up. We have people that go to the churches. Oh, Doug Bookman's going to show up. Because they have a hunger for God's word so they can have a handle on it. But it doesn't end there, does it? It's for ministry. But it doesn't stop just with knowledge. Because knowledge that is not ministered turns to pride. And then you're just sitting there cold and dead. They might call us the frozen chosen. That's why when we have speakers, we have a mix. We have probably more. Personally, I'm sure I'm a little prejudiced. But I think the best preaching in this last conference, came from our guys. Why? I don't know. They may not have the degrees of the guys that we bring in for the special teachers, for the featured speakers, but those are the guys that are out in the trenches. And our heart just kind of identifies with them because you've been praying for them, and you want to hear the fruit. You want to hear how it's going. And we identify with them. The other blessing is that as I hear from different people, oh, Pastor Hutchinson message, that really blessed. Oh, that message by, by Sam or that message by David Grave. Oh, that was good. Why? Because God has given all these different giftednesses to the church so that we would not just grow in knowledge, but grow in relationship, that we would know the Lord. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things. See, he was very much trained in Scripture. He was a lawyer. And Jewish lawyers are trained in what? The Old Testament, in the law. So he had a lot of knowledge, but he did not know the Lord. What changed now is he wanted to know the Lord. Those things I had before, I count those things as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whom for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I might gain Christ, that I might know him. He goes on to say, to know him the fellowship of his suffering, and the power of his resurrection. What's, like, what's Paul talking about? He's talking about knowing Christ intimately. What does that happen? It happens in ministry. Not just in knowledge, it happens in ministry. Because when you put yourself out there, whether it's sharing the gospel with a lost friend, or you're serving another person in the church, they don't always receive that well, do they? And your motivations get purified right away. You say, well, they didn't appreciate it. I'm not going to do that anymore. Really? Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you, right? Maybe not people in the church, but people outside the church. But we're called to minister. Why? Because he was a minister. He didn't come to be served. When Jesus came, he came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve. We know Christ when we get outside of ourselves and begin to serve one another. And our motivations get purified. And we have to back up and say, okay, Lord, well, I thought I was just doing your will. And that, that kind of hurt, you know, because we like to be liked. 
We hate to be hated. At least we like to be appreciated, right? But sometimes you're serving, and God has called you to serve, and you don't get the warm open door, the embrace. You get the cold shoulder. You say, okay, Lord, well, what do you want me to do? And you have to back up. I remember when Sunil John came to our church. He'd just gotten saved at his traditional church in India, which is really amazing in itself because they don't preach the gospel regularly. And he came to get his PhD here at the university, and he came to our church. And he began to grow in the word of God, and all of a sudden, he just stopped coming to church for a month. Where's Sunil? Where'd Sunil John go? Where is he? And he came back to church. He said, Pastor, I, you probably noticed I was gone. I said, yes, I did. He said, you know, I began to grow in the word of God, and my plan was I was just going back home, and I realized if I live out what God has called me to be, I'll, I could die in India. And so I had to take some time and count the cost. I said, amen and amen. Oh, it will cost you. It may cost you everything. Your salvation costs you nothing. Your ministry may cost you everything. But Paul writes in Romans, and he said, listen, the little suffering we do cannot be compared to the glory that we will share. And if you stay safe and you keep yourself safe, you won't grow and you won't know joy. Listen, a week of ministry and you come to worship, what's going on in your heart? You are ready to worship. You are anticipating to get together with the brothers and sisters and lift your voice up and worship with all your heart. We, we mature through ministry, sometimes because that's where the trials are. And that's where we begin to know the Lord. Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings and the experience of his resurrection. What was that power over sin? And he said, I have not attained to it yet, but I forget those things which are behind, and I press for reaching out for what God has called me to do, to know Christ we know him as we serve one another. In Mark 10, 43, Jesus said, But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for ministry. 1 John three sixteen. We know love by this, that Jesus laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, if we actually walked around with that kind of attitude in our heart, there would be no problems, would there? Well, so-and-so said this about me. But I'm willing to die for him, so I guess that's not a big deal, right? That's the love of Christ. It's not just loving in doctrinal statement. That's actually walking and loving and in deed and in truth. When we have the attitude, I'm willing to... Now, everybody's not going to be the personality of a warm, fuzzy puppy. And that's why Paul gives instruction, as much as lies within you, get along with all men. But like is different than love. Love is the responsibility to be like Christ and serve one another and lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a high calling. And what does that lead to? It leads to maturity, verse 14. As a result, when we grow up, because we're growing in the word, we're growing in knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're involved in ministry and serving one another as he, like he served us, it leads to maturity. And the result is we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. You see, what's going to happen is you're going to know the Lord. 
and he's going to shepherd you in his word. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you. So some false doctrine comes along. You don't have to study false doctrine. That's not right. This is what the Bible says, right? You have maturity. The other thing I've learned, the other side of that passage, I think, is little stuff doesn't blow you away. As you mature, one reason for years I would take some of our young men back to the Moody Founders Week. Um, Number one, it was free. And they would have all these great pastors and speakers come in, missionaries, from a very broad spectrum. They weren't all just from our little circle. Now, I remember when my dad was pastoring in Rockford, we didn't go to Moody. We listened to them on the radio, but we didn't go down there because they weren't in our circle, right? And uh, showed up, found out these people love the Lord for years. They've got a great, great institution there. Very unusual that at Moody Church, the gospel still goes forth after 150 years or something like that. But I went down there because they'd have Franklin Graham there. They'd have Jim Cimbala, who's a Pentecostal pastor from Brooklyn Tabernacle. They'd have Tony Evans. All these different guys from different backgrounds, different denominations. But men who are called to holiness in their ministry. You know, our church, not everybody believes exactly the same doctrine. Now, heretic is when somebody comes in to straighten us out, and so they may just secretly start a Bible study. They might, we, we, no, we're not talking about that. But not everybody's going to be on the same page, and that shouldn't blow us away as we're mature. No, in heaven, we're all going to be straightened out, aren't we? There's some things that God's going to adjust in all of our vision because we're going to know the truth then. In the meantime, there are different believers that, that may have a little different take on this, but Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. I'll tell you, when I spent time in the army, I was thankful just to find another believer, whether they were Methodist or, or whether they were Presbyterian or Baptist, whatever. Just find another believer that you could call a brother. And I think God was developing, stretching me in those days. doesn't mean truth is important or doctrinal statements are important, but it's not the only thing. I think not only is Paul saying we know the difference between truth and error, but, okay, somebody's a little different. It doesn't have to blow you away. I mean, you have to change, but it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm sorry, you differ, and so we can't talk to you anymore. You know, they have the jokes about the Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, whatever, and they think they all got their own little walled-off city, and they don't know anybody else is there. But we know that's not true, don't we? And so on earth... Even though we're not going to get rid of our doctrinal statement and we believe doctrine is important, it's hard sometimes to find where a church stands anymore, isn't it? There's no distinction. We are distinct. We want to let people know what we teach. At the same time, we have to love outside of our boundaries a little bit. And if we're mature, we're able to not be blown away by every little thing that comes along. Maturity also leads, verse 15, to a clear message. You see, in order for there to be a clear message, there needs to be knowledge and maturity. It says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. When a person first gets saved, there, there's that time they, they, they have a saved out of sin, especially if they got saved as an adult, and they're so excited to share with everybody else, and then some of their friends come to Christ, and then pretty soon that's that separation, isn't there? Because some of his friends thought that, well, he's going to get over that. He's a little crazy right now. But then he doesn't, and the friends begin to separate. And there's that enthusiasm about sharing. And, and now they've found the truth. They think, if I just give them these words that affected me, they'll get saved. And they realize it's not working that way. Why? Because God is the one that saves people. 
He used the gospel. But there's sometimes that period of time where we think if I can just talk somebody into something and there's this force of wills. But no, no, you need Jesus. And so we try to force them and force the conversation. But no, no, it's speaking the truth in love. And there's a certain peace about that. I don't have to separate from somebody. Some people will tell you, I don't want to talk to you anymore and never talk to me again about Jesus. Now, don't pray for me. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that, not pray for you. But we can trust that the gospel is powerful seed. And if we're growing up in maturity, walking with the Lord, we can listen to him. He can tell us when to speak, what to say, and when to be quiet, right? Because we're speaking the truth in love, and we have the confidence of the Lord Jesus Christ behind us. Maturity, knowledge that leads, verse 16, to a faithful, functioning church from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. As we serve one another, your spiritual giftedness by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. That's the diversity of giftedness. Now, we have, Benjamin many times will come and, and he will quote the scripture, a pastor I'm going to preach, he'll quote it. And that convicts like, oh man, I had the word in my heart too. But I don't know if I can do what Ben does and, and just do books. Well, you don't have to. But you know, your, your giftedness and, and other people's giftedness, they work on each other until we all come to the measure of the stature of Christ. See, Jesus had all the gifts. We don't have all the gifts. Corporately, as a local church, we have all the gifts. But only as all those gifts are functioning, so your part, your place is important. And I'm not here to tell you what that is. It's by prayer. It's by being available to the Lord. So when we see all this ministry opportunity taking place, what do we do? Well, our natural connection is to organize and put everybody in a slot, get everybody. We were having a discussion one day in staff meeting, and, and some of our guys who are gifted in organization, and they say, okay, now I just think that we ought to lay this on people. People join the church, we put them in a position. I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. Why? Because I've tried that. I'll leave a mark. No, that doesn't work. You see, in order for the church to grow, there needs to be some organization, but we're also a life organism, aren't we? We're the body of Christ. What we have to do is we have to back off and say, God, what do you want to do here? Because I can't change a heart. I can't call somebody. That's why when Carl was here and he said, we need three more people to minister. He said, would you pray with me? Why? Because we want God to direct. Well, I've been through that before as a young pastor. I said, okay, now listen, why don't you do that? I think you can do this. And so because I'm the pastor, people say, oh, well, I better do it. The pastor wants me to do it. And they burn out. And then you, you start coming after them. And they find something else to do and they run, right? But when God calls somebody to ministry, even though it's hard and it takes your energy and you get tired, it's a place of joy. It's a place of fruitfulness. So Jesus saw a need, Matthew chapter 9, 36 to 38. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Do you feel compassion for people in our culture? I, I just sometimes I just have a hard time walking through Walmart. People are hurting. 
aren't they? And I see little kids, I don't know, pick them up, take them home, feed them a happy meal, right? And they want stuff, and you could tell by just looking, they probably, their parents don't have the money. And say, get over here, kid. We got to get out of here. Mom, I want this. And, you know, and it's not just the material things. My heart goes out to them. They didn't ask some of the people to just show up so they can drive little carts around and get stuff without people looking at them. People are hurting. Jesus saw that. Can you open up your heart enough to have compassion? And just say, Lord, I don't know what to do about that, but I'm going to begin to pray. See, we want to organize. We want to start getting everything in categories. And Jesus said this, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. There's all kinds of work to do. There's a harvest that's ready to be harvested. So what do we do? Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. So pray with Carl. Lord, we have precious children we need to minister to. Lord, send somebody to minister to them. Send gifted people to encourage the hearts of our children. You know, I grew up when one year, I remember in Minneapolis, my dad, uh, mom decided I need to go to Christian school. Oh, I hated that year. What a mean place. Presbyterian school, maybe that's why, I don't know. But anyway, I went to this place, Powderhorn Christian School. And it seemed like, the teachers were there, not all of them, but the one I had, I'll teach you how to be Christians. I'm like, well, you don't need that. It's not about, about loving people, about encouraging them, taking the walls down, being a light. Where does it start? It starts with teaching. It starts with the challenge of the example of leaderships. And it starts with prayer. I'm willing to pray. See, all these college students come into town. Man, I get excited. What do we got to do? Pray. That's where our college ministry started a year ago. It kind of started over again with some college young people. College young people said, hey, would you pray with us? We'd like to reach our campus. Well, there's a lot of ministries. Yeah, but there's a whole lot more lost kids. They begin to pray, and God bless them. David and, and uh, Luke saw a need with Techne. And Doug said, I know how to get in that door. He just broke it open, right? They began to reach technical students. Now that ministry is going around. Why? Because somebody saw a need and they begin to pray. Because you may see a need and say, well, I can't do that. No, we read in Ephesians chapter 3 that you're going to see God do things that are exceedingly above and beyond all that you can ask or think if you're just available and you're willing to pray. It starts with prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We see the great needs around us in our culture and even around the world and all the guys that have gone from here with their families to reach where Jason's going. And Lord, we are not up for the task. Paul asked, who is, who is able? Who is equal to the task? But Lord, you are. And we are your servants. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would be a spiritual, mature, functioning church, not just a knowledgeable church, not a critical church, but a loving church. Lord, I pray that you work the word into our heart, even this morning, that we would say, like Isaiah, Lord, here I am, I'm available, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.
Let's stand and sing together.